Genesis chapter number one, Genesis chapter number one, we have made it to day five of the creation week. So let's review quickly as you turn. Day number one, the focus is, when I go like that, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on a response. It's participation time. The focus of day one is, okay, on day one, God said, let there be. There we go. Folks, day one is light. God divided the light from the darkness. Folks, day two was the the firmament. Okay, God divided the waters from the waters with a firmament. I'm just going to say this one. Focus day three was vegetation. God divided the land from the sea. The focus day four was the sun, moon, and stars. God divided the day from the night. The focus day five is the fish and the birds, or as the Bible says, the fowl and the winged Foul. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 20, the Bible says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open, open firmament of heaven. Takes us back to day number 2, that firmament that divided the waters from the waters. Uh, this, this firmament, Genesis 1.20, would be the first heaven, three heavens, the sky where the birds fly, the solar system, outer space, the universe, sun, moon, and stars are, then the third heaven where God dwells. Verse number 21, and God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly. What's interesting about verse number 21 is it's the first time the word created shows up in the passage since verse number one when God created the heaven and the earth. What's significant about that is the wording of Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, which says, In six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. The word made is used throughout chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. Verse number 1, the Bible says that God, I'm sorry, verse 7, God made the firmament. Verse 16, God made the two great lights. Verse 16, he made the stars in verse 25. God made the beast of the earth in verse 31. God saw everything he had made. Chapter 2, verse 3, God rested from all his work which he created and made. Create and made are different terms. Create means to bring forth out of nothing. To make is the form and fashion out of materials that are already in existence. And so this kind of goes back to what we covered about Verse number one being the original creation and then Lucifer's rebellion and judgment coming on the earth. And verse number two, that leaves it in the condition described there. So God created in verse number one. And then starting in verse three, we're talking about all these things that he made. There, the, the building blocks were already there. But when we come to verse 21, it's interesting because God created great whales. At the end of the verse, the Bible says... The waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Again, this is a phrase that is repeated throughout Genesis 1. We studied it more on day number 3, the phrase after its kind or after his kind. This is the antithesis of modern evolutionary theory. Uh, dinosaurs did not turn into birds. Dinosaurs brought forth after their kind. Birds brought forth after their kind. And they're different kinds. Cows did not decide to start swimming and turn into whales. That, that's what the science textbooks will teach you. But every cow that has a baby, it's a baby 
cow, every whale that has a baby, it's a baby whale. You might be tempted to think the manatee is a transitional form, but it's not. It always has manatee babies, okay? So Charles Darwin, he, he developed his evolutionary theory. He documented it in his book, uh, which he entitled On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. After his voyage on the HMS Beagle and its visit to the Galapagos Islands where he observed variations among different species from one island to the next. So there's this chain of islands. He would go from one island to the next island and he was a naturalist so he's observing nature and he's noticing that the finches on this island, a little bit different from the finches on that island, a little bit different from the finches on that island in particular, their beak shape and their beak structure all distinct shapes and sizes that made each bird fitted for survival on the island on which it lived. And so uh, scientifically speaking, what we call that is adaptation or micro-evolution. And that is observable. You can still go to the Galapagos Islands and still study those finches and their beaks. That is demonstrable. It is a verifiable fact of nature, but what Darwin postulated and propagated that is not scientific in that it's never been observed and never been demonstrated and never been verified is the idea that a finch finch ever evolved from something else or ever would evolve into anything other than a finch. Okay? Throughout the course of history, it has always been and only happened, as the Bible says, they bring forth after their kind. It is a huge leap of faith to go from microevolution to macroevolution. Adaptation within species, that's science. One species to another species, that's a myth. That's a fairy tale. That is a that is a pipe dream of so-called science. Okay, finches in the Galapagos have baby finches. Tortoises in the Galapagos have baby tortoises. Dinosaurs, as we already said, had baby dinosaurs, or if you still believe in them, have baby dinosaurs. Cows have baby cows. Whales have baby cows. Everything brings forth after its kind. Now, I've got two points. What did I say? Whales have baby cows. Is that what I said? See? I was just testing your knowledge. Okay, I've got two points under the first reference in your notes. I want want to give you two examples uh, from fish and birds of things that bring forth after their kind and that go against uh, evolutionary theory. The first is the coelacanth. I'm going to have to help you spell that. The coelacanth. I want you to write this down. You wouldn't think it's said coelacanth when you read it, but it looks like that. C-A-E-L-O-C-A-N-T-H, the coelacanth. This is a fish that appears throughout the fossil record in rock layers that are supposed to be from 340 million years old until its last appearance in rock layers that are laid down supposedly 65 million years ago. So the coelacanth is in rock layers that are, that are dated 340 million years to 65 million years old. Evolutionary scientists long assumed because there were no more fossils of the coelacanth, it must have gone extinct about the same time as the dinosaurs. However, in the 1930s, fishermen began to haul these up out of the deep waters off the coast of South Africa 
And these fish were easily recognizable from the supposedly 65 million year old fossils, meaning that over the course of the supposed 65 million years, these fish just forgot to evolve. Because the ones that are alive today and the fishermen began to catch were exactly the same as the bones that they would dig up out of rock that was supposedly 65 million years old. Despite having supposedly primitive features, many of which are not seen in any other living vertebrates, this fish had survived basically unchanged, again, for an alleged 65 million years. You know why? Because everything brings forth after its kind. Let me give you an example from the from the birds. It's a bird called the cassowary. This one's a little bit easier to spell. Where did my, where did my marker go? The cassowary. Uh, you just got to double the S here, and it's a C at the beginning. C-A-S-S-O-W-A-R-Y. The cassowary. Cassowary is a flightless bird. It uh, means it can't fly. It's a flightless bird found in Australia and New Guinea. Cassowaries are able to run 31 miles per hour and jump five feet into the air from a standing position, so they get close, but they can't quite do it. They've been termed living fossils because they're essentially the same as fossil cassowaries. This presents a problem for evolutionists since obviously there has been no evolution observed. The Bible has the perfect explanation. Science, true observable demonstrable, verifiable facts of nature has a perfect explanation. Everything brings forth after its kind. Verse 22, the Bible says, And God blessed them, saying, Try again. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Okay, come to Psalm 104 if you would. Psalm 104, we'll read three passages in quick succession that establish the purpose of our lesson this morning. Psalm 104, we have read many times, we have quoted many times, where the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the firmament showeth his handiwork. You can look up into the night sky and you just know instinctively that there is a God in heaven who hung those stars in place. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy hands, the moon and stars thou art served, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Okay, you can look into the heavens and 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 and, and what you hear when you see what God made is God's glory, because the heavens declare the glory of God. But but that is not exclusive to the sun, the moon, and stars. Because Romans 1.20 says the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. By the things that are made. So it's not just the heavens that declare God's glory. It's not just the firmament that showeth God's handiwork. Everything God made is a demonstration of his power and his Godhead and teaches us that they're is a creator who is to be worshipped, and that would certainly include the fish and the birds that God made and created on day number five. Look at Psalm 104, verse number 24. Psalm 104, 24. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping 
innumerable, both small and great beasts. Turn quickly over to 107, verse number 23. Psalm 107, verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. His wonders in the deep. The other passage said, wherein are things creeping in Numerable, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. The earth is full of thy riches. Take the wonders of the deep. Ocean life, for instance. Scientists have absolutely no idea how many species of ocean life are in existence. The reason for that is at least 80% of the world's oceans, and that's a conservative estimate, at least 80% of the world's oceans remain unmapped, unobserved, unexplored. I read an article from 2015 that said there are 228,000 known species in the ocean, but as many as 2 million more that remain a total mystery. Creeping things innumerable, wonders in the deep. These show the handiwork of God. Now think about it this morning. From the microscopic plankton, to the mammoth blue whale. From the flying fish right above the surface of the water to those creepy looking angler fish way down in the ocean's depths. You can study all this life that God put into the rivers and the oceans and the seas and the incredible ways that they breathe and swim and sleep and eat and hunt and communicate and mate and migrate and camouflage and disguise and hide themselves to catch prey or keep from becoming prey. And you could go on and on and on about these really amazing forms of life that God made and God designed and God created. And at all points, the creative genius of an intelligent and powerful and loving God. Come to Job 12. Job 12, similar passage. Job 12, verses 7 through 9. Job 12 and verse number 7, the Bible says, But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee. (laughs) Try this this afternoon. Just go out of the field. Hey, Cal, got some questions. Ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? So no matter what what conversation you decide to have or which animal you decide to speak to, if you you find a cow and ask the question, if you find some fish and ask the question, if you find the bird and ask the question, their answer is all going to be the same. The hand of the Lord hath wrought this. When you study these amazing forms of life that God put upon the earth, whether it's day five or whether it's day six, and you do it with an honest heart, there's only one conclusion to which you can come. God's hand is evidently at work in the design of these amazing creatures, these these incredible animals that God put here on the earth and over which he gave us Dominion. So this morning for the lesson, I want to give you two ways in which the fish and the birds point to the incredible handiwork of God. And and these two ways that the fish and bird point 
fish and birds point to the incredible handiwork of God are two strong arguments for biblical creation and against modern evolutionary theory. The first, I want you to fill this in, the first is irreducible complexity. You need me to spell it? Irreducible complexity. I keep losing my marker. I-R-R. And you should have the rest. E-D-U-C-I-B-L-E-C-O-M-P-L-E-X-I-B. It's important to get that right. Irreducible complexity. This, this is a concept we've discussed on a number of occasions, but it's important to hear these things over and over and over because the more you hear them, the more you learn them, the more hopefully they make sense and the more that uh, you'll remember. This is a concept that's important we're familiar with. Irreducible complexity refers to aspects of design that could not have possibly evolved. Irreducible complexity refers to aspects of design that could not have possibly evolved. It's an engineering term, and it refers to the fact there are mechanisms which only work when everything works together. When all components are present and functional. The classic example of irreducible complexity would be the mousetrap. Five simple parts... But you're not going to catch a mouse with a mousetrap unless all, of, all five of those parts are there and working together. Think about it this way. Your heart and your lungs and your kidneys. Try to answer which of those evolved first. You can't do it. Because the heart can't function without the lungs and the kidneys. And the lungs can't function without the heart and the kidneys. And the kidneys can't function without the heart and the lungs. It, it all works together. It is it is. Incredibly complex, but it is irreducibly complex. It could not be any less complex and still work. And you could not be any less complex and still survive. That's, that's what we're talking about with irreducible complexity. And it's, it's very evident in the design of both the fish and the birds that God made on day number five. Let, let me give you the simplest example from the fish. How do fish breathe? Oriah? Through their gills. Thank you, Oriah. appreciate your help this morning. You can always count on Oriah to answer questions. Fish breathe through their gills. They live in water. You ever tried to breathe in water? <laughs> How'd that work? Not so well. So, so they extract the oxygen from the water. They have these incredible gills systems. Let me ask you a question. How did that evolve? How did gills evolve? How did gills evolve? How did gills evolve? How did a fish go from no gills to gills when they have to have the gills to survive where they live? See, it's very complex, but it's irreducibly complex. It, it has to be there from the start. There, there is no accounting for the evolution of gills because if gills had to evolve, the fish could not have lived to evolve. Make sense? Let me give you the example of the blue whale. I've got all this stuff I want to read to you this morning. There's just not time to do it. You'll have to go home and, and look up articles on Andrews and Genesis if you really want to. Uh, the blue whales, the, 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 the world's largest animal by, by sheer uh, mass, even larger than the, the, the dinosaurs. 
Evolutionists believe that whales evolved from land animals. Again, the, the cows were in search of better food, so they decided to go in the water and start swimming. Now, there are some similarities in their fossils, but whales appear in the fossil record abruptly with all the complex systems in place to thrive in the sea. So-called transitional forms provide no evidence for how the whale evolved complex systems like the ear designed for underwater hearing and pressure. You ever get too deep in the water? That doesn't feel real good, does it? But that, that, that blue whale, man, it dives way down deep. The tail that moves vertically. A shark's fin is vertical and it moves horizontal. The whale's fin is horizontal and it moves Vertically, and there's a reason for that. The blubber and the countercurrent heat exchangers to keep the whale warm. The respiratory system to withstand high pressure and long periods underwater. They go 10 to 30 minutes between surfacing. The ability to birth and nurse underwater. <laughs> Furthermore, baleen whales, like the blues, are the only known animals to strain their food with baleen. They can take in about four tons of krill a day. Four to 8,000 pounds of microscopic organisms a day through that baleen system that they use. <clears throat> Complex structures like baleen cannot form by random mutation. Natural selection is inadequate because adaptation involves a change of traits that already exist. Okay? Therefore, change happens only within a kind, not a change from one kind to another like a land animal to a whale. In contrast, the evolutionary assumption of land mammals evolving into marine mammals, the biblical account says sea creatures like whales were created on day five, a whole day before the land animals ever showed up. Irreducible complexity. The whale has to have everything that it has all working together at the same time in order for it to live. It could not have evolved that way. The clownfish. Here's one that might register a little bit. Uh, better with you. The clownfish has an amazing navigational system. I mean, it can make it all the way from the dentist's <laughs> toilet back to its home, right? The Great Barrier Reef. The clownfish possesses incredible navigational abilities that have stunned researchers. After they hatch, clownfish spend several days in the open sea, and currents often carry them away, especially when they want to go touch a boat, <clears throat> all right? Yet they can return close to the very sea anemone where they were born. These fascinating, brightly colored creatures are apparently born with the ability to detect scents from afar and return to their home. It joins a long list of incredible creatures got equipped with advanced migratory technology to aid their navigation. The ability of the mindless process of evolution to produce complex behaviors seen in the clownfish may be one of the greatest fish stories ever told. <laughs> About the tripod fish. You ever heard of the tripod fish? Probably not. The tripod fish lives in the deepest depths of the ocean. It feeds on plankton and other small organisms, and it does not chase its food like most fish do. What the tripod fish does is it posts itself against the current, okay? It just kind of like, it, 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 it stays stationary in one spot and lets, its, lets that plankton get swept into its mouth. How does the tripod fish do this. You might kind of make some assumptions based on the name. In order to post, the tripod fish has these special uh, fins that are called rays that act like a tripod that anchor the fish down while the current is coming this direction so that it can catch its prey. The tripod fish, uh, the, 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 the tripod fish has special vision 
which helps it track its bioluminescent prey. It has a special swim bladder, so it's not crushed by the deepest depths of the ocean. It has a special uh, pineal gland, so it doesn't produce too much melatonin, which would make it sleep all the time. Maybe some of us should check into that. The tripod fish clearly designed, I mean some of you, the tripod fish clearly designed to live where it lives. Evolutionists have not come up with any good way to explain how it could have evolved. There is no way all its special features could have arisen by chance. Irreducible complexity. Let me give you some examples from the birds. The, 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 the most obvious example would be flight. There are, there are multiple design aspects that are all necessary and all work together so that the birds can fly in the open firmament of heaven, like the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1. The feathers, the design of the feathers, the bone structure, the muscle arrangement, their breathing mechanisms, and there is no evidence for any step-by-step process by which those could have evolved and the birds could have Survived. You know why the birds fly? Because God made them to fly on day number five, and he fitted them with those capabilities, and they bring forth after their kind. Again, I can't read all this to you this morning. The, hum- the, the hummingbird, with its amazing hovering ability, its specialized tongue, its incredible heart, the scrub jay. Y'all look up the scrub jay. Everybody talks about being a bird brain. The scrub jay is the most intelligent bird that there is. It'll hide its food, and it has uh, all these incredible features, but we just we, we got to keep going. That's irreducible complexity. Number two this morning, biomimicry. Biomimicry. We're talking about how the creatures teach us that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this. How we can study science and come away in awe at the amazing power and wisdom of the Creator. How we know from what we observe that evolution could not have taken place. Irreducible complexity and biomimicry. What is biomimicry? These are aspects of design that have been copied from nature by human engineers. Aspects of design that have been copied by human engineers. Biomimicry is the imitation of natural biological designs or processes in engineering or invention. It's a practice that learns from and mimics the strategies found in nature to solve human design challenges. That makes sense? We're trying to design something. Well, let's look at the way that God designed it and let's copy that. It's biomimicry, and it happens all the time. Again, I'll give you some examples from the birds and the fish of day number five. The birds. Well, the, the obvious example would have to be flight. The flight of the birds, what originally inspired Leonardo da Vinci, and then uh, those components were studied and implemented by the Wright brothers and Kitty Hawk in 1903, and the first you know, man-made aircraft and the breakthrough uh, there on the beaches of North Carolina. But the flight of the birds is continually studied to this day by modern aeronautical engineers to make aircraft uh, more efficient and to continue to advance in that technology. Let me tell you about the kingfisher. The kingfisher, that's a bird. And the kingfisher has this beak, this, this specially designed head and this beak that allow it to enter the water because the kingfisher dives into the water to catch fish. That's why it's called the kingfisher. 
And the kingfisher, it dives in the water to catch fish, and because of the shape and design of the head and the beak, it, it virtually makes no splash at all, and it gives it a better chance of uh, catching the fish, going home and enjoying lunch. Well, the Japanese bullet train is the fastest train in the world. It reaches speeds of 200 miles an hour. It's a marvel of modern technology, but the train had some issues early on in the design because each time the train would cross the tunnel, it would produce a loud thunder-like boom that could be heard for miles. And, and Japan, they're real big about noise pollution. This was a big, big problem. I mean, the houses, the, the windows were shaking and stuff falling off the walls because of the, the boom produced by this supersonic train, the bullet train. So the train's chief engineer was out one day watching a bird called the Kingfisher, and he got an idea for how they could design the bullet train to be faster and more efficient. They made it more aerodynamic, and it became quieter than ever before. How did they solve the problem with the bullet train? They copied what God did. With the Kingfisher, they took the design of the head and beak and applied that to the train, and now it moves through the mountain and through the tunnel, and, and it doesn't produce that huge, loud boom. What about the woodpecker? The woodpecker. What, uh, what does the woodpecker teach us about biomimicry? Well, the long-term dangers of concussions and a condition known as CTE is a degenerative disease that begins with headaches and disorientation. It's followed by memory loss, erratic behavior, impeded speech, fine dementia. It's a hot-button issue in the world of contact sports, football, hockey, boxing, all those things. And so medical professionals are scrambling to find the best answers to the question, how, we can, how can we better protect athletes from concussions? Because we understand, when we've ever said before, the long-term side effects of all those uh, brain injuries and concussions. And so the woodpecker, the woodpecker, think about the woodpecker. The woodpecker slams its head into a tree dozens of times per second. How can the woodpecker do that and not concuss every time it does? At impact, the sudden deceleration produces a force that is many times the bird's total body weight. If, if you did what a woodpecker did, you would die instantly. But this living jackhammer takes it all in stride. How does it do it? Well, in addition to the size, structure, and placement of the brain and the brain cavity, the woodpecker has this tongue that wraps around its skull and acts like a shock absorber. That tongue is also positioned next to its jugular vein, meaning that when the woodpecker is drilling away, the tongue applies pressure to the vein and it momentarily increases the blood pressure and creates this cushion of blood between the brain and the skull. It kind of acts like bubble wrap, further protecting the, the bird's brain. The beak structure also redirects the force of each peck downward and away from the brain. But so, so because the, 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 the top of the beak is a little bit longer, the bottom of the beak is a little bit shorter, and the, the, the shape of the top beak changes and it's... It, 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 it's not both at the same time. It's almost like this. Because of that, the, the force is projected not toward the, the brain. It's actually directed into the bird's body. Scientists say that 99% of the impact force is transferred to the body of the woodpecker. It's incredible. 
Now, engineers have taken those concepts and they're hard at work applying them to helmets and other safety equipment. So these football players don't go crazy by the time they're 50, all right? Biomimicry. What about, what about fish? What about fish? What about the shark? Sharks are pretty incredible, as long as they're not eating you. But their, their, their skin, if you call it that, a lot different from normal fish. You might think the shark's skin would need to be smooth for gliding at high speeds through the water, but the shark actually has bumpy scales known as dermal denticles, that, that skin that look like teeth, dermal denticles. This riblet design of the shark's skin has actually led to a number of interesting inventions. That riblet design was copied by the swimwear designer Speedo to make a fabric for the suits that were worn by Olympic swimmers that made them faster and more aerodynamic. That riblet design was also copied by NASA and used both on ships and on aircraft because it not only reduces drag, but it repels barnacles and deters microorganisms from attaching. So it makes the ships and the aircraft faster, more efficient, and cleaner, easier to clean. All by copying how God made the shark. What about the whales? The humpback whale in particular. We talk about the, the, the shark's dermal denticles. There's a similar situation with the bumps that you may have noticed on the front end of some whales. Ever seen the Prudential commercial in the humpback whale? It jumps out of the water and, and splashes, but kind of on the front and on the fins, there are these bumps on the whale. Well, the humpback weighs about 36 tons, yet it's one of the most elegant swimmers, divers, and jumpers in the ocean. And these aerodynamic abilities are greatly attributed to the bumpy protrusions on the fronts of its fins. Those are called tubercles. And many companies are applying those same design concepts to wind turbines and propellers to make them better glide through the air and make them more efficient. So, so what are engineers doing to, to, to make all of their designs better? Let's go study what God did, and let's do what he did, and it provides the best solutions. We don't have time to, to go into detail. I'll just give you some headlines. The octopus. Science, scientists study the octopus as they look to refine the principles of jet propulsion. Have, have you ever seen the, the octopus, and it shoots the ink, but then it, it, I mean just, just, it propels itself through the water? Make your, make your jet propulsion better by studying the octopus. 3D printed fish scales have inspired human armor development. Researchers develop clog-resistant filtration systems inspired by 3D printed fish mouths. <laughs> Biological cloaking design of silverfish offers biomimetic possibilities. Electric eels provide a zap of inspiration for a new kind of power source. So octopus design makes our jets more efficient. Fish scales helps our soldiers with their armor. Fish mouths teach us how to better filter certain things. The silverfish uh, teaches us about biological cloaking. Electric eels make your batteries more efficient. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And, and, and so what these scientists are figuring out is the best way we can design is to copy how God designed. 
because you can't do it any better than the Lord did in Genesis chapter 1. And on day 5, he made some incredible fish. And he made some incredible whales. And he made some incredible birds. And it all points to his amazing power and wisdom and handiwork through irreducible complexity and biomimicry and many other ways. Not a lot of preaching this morning, but some interesting information. And wise men lay up knowledge. So hopefully be helpful to you in some way at some point in time. Let's pray. Father, surely thank you for your word, what it teaches us. God, thank you that uh, we do have the knowledge. Lord, you put it within us and you put it all around us. Uh, Lord, that you're God and that, that this world we live in, it's the work of your hands. God, help us to fear you, be mindful of you, help us to love you, help us to acknowledge and to praise your greatness and your might and your power and your excellency. And uh, Lord, help us to use this information to be able to witness for Jesus Christ and uh, explain the gospel to people, Lord, who've been so blinded by the world's philosophies, uh, Lord, and, and, and the evolutionary uh, theory. Uh, God, again, thank you for truth. Thank you for light. Uh, give us wisdom, understanding, we pray. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.